grind like today makes it or breaks it. Hustle like you never have before and thrive on the fruits of your labor. Hustle, grind, thrive, repeat. This is Thrive Kings. Here's your host, Craig Fountain. Welcome to the Thrive Kings podcast. I'm your host, Craig Fountain, and today's guest is an executive coach, keynote speaker, renowned thought leader, author, and CEO. He brings a unique blend of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability to help leaders and organizations achieve their highest goals. You won't want to miss this episode. His latest and upcoming book is titled From Suck to Success. It's my pleasure to share with you my conversation with Todd Palmer. Follow the show online at Thrive Kings on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Welcome, Todd, to the Thrive Kings podcast. I appreciate you taking time to come on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's my honor to be here. I appreciate that, Todd. Now, we're all about entrepreneurship here. I'm I'm curious. I want to get into your latest projects, your latest book, things of that nature, but we're always curious where you started. How did you get your start in entrepreneurship? Wow, that's a great question. You know, if I really think back, I would say I got my start in entrepreneurship in about sixth grade. Um, I grew up in a really small town in Michigan. And I, you know, when I graduated high school in 1986, I had 42 kids in my graduating class. We're talking small town America here. Okay. And we had literally one store in town. And every day when my mom would drive me to school, we would pass that store and I would stop in and I'd pick up candy and gum and things like that for a nickel or a quarter or whatever the prices were at the time. And then I would mark it up, you know, to, from a nickel to a quarter because kids always carried quarters or dimes or whatever. I, I didn't want to carry change, right? So, and I would go to school and I'd sell the candy. And I got called into the principal's office and I was told how I was taking advantage of other students and how dare I do that. And I remember my mom saying to me, well, he's not doing anything illegal. He's, he's really providing a service to the kids, and why is that such a big deal? And it was really interesting as I reflect back on this, you know, 40 plus years ago. That's really how I got into entrepreneurship. I didn't want to follow the rules. Uh, I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to set my own price. I wanted to, to, to service a need within the marketplace. And then I pivoted forward eventually into starting my first business, a staffing company, in 1997. It's interesting that that's how you got your start. And I think that some of that's going to go away for the current generation. You see all these stories on the news, you know, kids getting their lemonade stand shut down because they don't have a vendor's license, things like that. It's it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, some of the things that, that, that catch people's attention. That, you know, it's surprising that there's any issues with, with things like that. Kids, kids learning that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. Now, what was it like... Um, moving into your first venture? Well, you know, it was really interesting because I had just become a single parent. I'd, I'd earned, the, earned the right to, and I'd gotten custody to raise my son. And I was working in corporate America and I was seeing a lot of bottlenecks in my career path. Either it was, you know, I, I, I didn't fit the corporate mold or I was very clear in regards to when I would and wouldn't work and I could and couldn't travel. And so for me, I saw entrepreneurship and starting my own company is really a vehicle to be a better dad, to be a more present parent. Now, that was a story I told myself at the time. You know, once I got into it and realized that I was working 80 hours a week for myself to avoid working 40 hours a week for somebody else, well, that was kind of a big epiphany. But my intention was to really, you know, get into the staffing space in Detroit 
You know, I was going to, I started a staffing company at the same time I started a transportation company. I, I decided that the big gap in the marketplace wasn't anything more than a transportation problem because there were companies in the suburbs that needed employees. They weren't populated. The people in the city needed jobs and there was a gap. Unemployment rate at the time, we were at, the country was at full employment. We were at three and a half, four percent. So I would literally drive people. They'd all meet at one station. We would drive them to work. And as we started going along, and it was bumping along a little bit here, a little bit there, it, it did okay. We, we, you know, we, we turned a profit on day 72, thank goodness. But I didn't realize how lucky I was to be in an, in an area where there was an increased demand and a diminished supply for human capital. I came up with a way to come up, to close that gap, to get people to and from their jobs. And I was in a thriving economy in an area in Detroit where there was such a need for people that if I could find a body, I could put somebody to work tomorrow. Sounds like a very different world than what we're going through right now, that's for sure. Was was it much of a was it much of a struggle starting that? Did you struggle as a young entrepreneur at that point or did you pretty much were you kind of natural at it? Oh, you know what the, the crazy thing is, my my imposter syndrome was so strong that I thought I had it all figured out and I didn't know anything. And I definitely thought because I could sell and I knew how to do invoicing that I could run a business. What I didn't understand, I didn't understand profitability well enough. I didn't understand cash cash flow management. I didn't realize that getting into entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur made me a fiduciary, which essentially means for the listener, uh, you know, the, the government got paid first, the employees got paid first, all my bills got paid first, and if there was any money at the bottom of the, the funnel, I got what was left over. I didn't understand that. There was so much I didn't know, but what I, what I did have is I had, you know, rug, I was a rugged individualist. I always wanted to prove to the world I could do something, and that worked for a long time until it didn't. Um, I also was very good at you know, falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up and, and having massive amounts of resiliency and tenacity, which still today I think really serves me well because I just don't quit until the data tells me I need to. And even sometimes when the data tells me I need to, it, it's a tough conversation. There was, like, getting into entrepreneurship, there was so much that I didn't know that really at one point I was really just building myself a job before I even started building a company. So where did this path take you? These these struggles and maybe uh, the inexperience and assumptions you had, where did it kind of take you from there? Oh, it, it, it some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows, to be honest with you, Craig. I, uh, you know, 10 years in, I'm $600,000 in debt. Um, I had two clients of ours go bankrupt and they stuck us with you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of unpaid invoices and 80% of our invoice was payroll. So we were paying out all that money. I was taking loans from banks to make payroll and we were in really bad shape. So $600,000 in debt. Uh, I, my imposter syndrome is screaming at me about how I screwed this all up. How could I do this? That I could, There were days that I couldn't get out of bed and go into the office. I... Was it, like I said, I was a single dad. My house was on the line. I was going to lose my house. And I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture within my company because I, you know, the story I told myself is to be a good boss is I needed to be liked by all my employees. Well, my employees really liked me when I didn't hold them accountable. My employees really liked me when I didn't challenge their underperformance. My employees really liked me when I didn't fire their friend who was you know, doing a really you know, half-assed job at the job. And so all that was swirling around 10 years in. So I hit my entrepreneurial rock bottom. I realized I needed to ask for help. 
I realized I couldn't do it all alone anymore, and I hired a coach. And within you know a couple of months, the coach came in, got got me some really down and dirty financial literacy, figured out where there, I could get more margin for what I was doing, figured out where I could potentially go and pivot into some different marketplaces, forced me to address my my unwillingness to deal with my employees to the point of on September 9th of 2006, I fired my entire company and I started over. Fast forward 10 years later, we've paid off all $600,000 in debt and we, we hockey sticked the business on a growth trajectory where we made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America six times. So with the help of a coach and realizing I didn't have to do it all by myself anymore, I was able to get out of debt and, and the business was able to grow on and be successful. Can you talk a little bit about what it means uh, to make the Inc. 5000 list and uh, why that's significant for the listeners? Sure. The Inc. 5000 list, when I made it, um, it was based on a three-year revenue run rate. So it didn't. So here's what it didn't tie into. It didn't tie into profitability. It tied into revenue growth. And so essentially for a three-year period, we were growing at a high rate. Well, multiply that over about a 12-year period, we had a really long runway of successful revenue growth, putting us on the list six times. We missed the, you know, we made it six out of seven years, so something like that. So there was one year where we had a dip. And the crazy thing about it is we were growing in the recession. We were growing when the unemployment rate was at, you know, at that time record highs because we were able to identify and figure out within the marketplace where there was an increased demand and a diminished supply of, of skilled trades labor talent within the Midwest. And we did that by, by asking our customers you know, simple questions such as, you know, when, we're in the recession, when we're out of the recession, what is the first job you're going to hire? What's the first person you're looking for? And we started identifying and seeing patterns. And they were really sub-niches within, within the skilled trade sector. They were CNC machinists. They were CNC programmers. If I could find a, a programmer that could run a Mazak, Mazatrol lathe. And so Mazak, Mazatrol, for the, for the listeners, kind of like, is like a software. It's a computer program that, that produces parts. If I could find that person, market them back into the marketplace, there were companies in aerospace and medical device that were still doing okay. They were still hiring people. So we found that we could, if we could capture the talent and, and wrap them back into the marketplace, almost like a, a Hollywood agent or a sports agent, that gave us a real competitive advantage because we created this, this trust with the candidate. We were able to get them back to work if they were displaced, or if they were working, we were able to get them about a 20% raise for free. We worked for the candidate for free, and the customers were happy to pay us because they couldn't find this these unicorn type of people. So you're, you have a staggering amount of debt. You go from firing your entire company, you're hitting the reset button. So it sounds to me like essentially you're acknowledging that there's a failure there, that there was a need to change. And then you went to the Inc. 5000 list six out of seven years, and, and that's very significant. Would you say that that time period from bottoming out to making that list that many times is the cornerstone of of the success that you have today? Is that is that the impact that it had? You know, I think for me, the most important day of my life was September 9th, 2006, as an entrepreneur, of my entrepreneurial life. It's not like the day when my, my son was born, and that would be May 19th, 1991. That is the sure. best day of my life. Um, the For me, that was the worst. So what I've learned since then is the worst day of my life was the best day of my life. It all ties in for me. I'm a big fan. One of my favorite all-time books is Good to Great by Jim, Jim Collins, where he talks about Admiral James Stockdale and the Stockdale Paradox, where he said the... 
the, wor- the worst experience of my life will be the, the best defining moment of my life when he was a POW. And it was the same for me. I, I for years, didn't tell anybody that I fired my entire company. For years, I didn't tell anybody about all the mistakes that I made, all the, the leadership errors I had. The company got, I mean, the reality is that any problem in any business ties back to one thing, people. The people running the company, the people making decisions about cash, people making the choices on staff, etc. Well, in that case, the, the biggest mistakes were being made by me. I was the person responsible for stewarding the ship. I was responsible for the choices that were made. I was responsible for putting in payment terms with our clients, allowing them to, to shuttle us off into bankruptcy. Those are my choices. And as soon as I'd hired the coach and he pointed all these things out, uh, it was actually freeing for me. So it became the, the, the choice of, of real honest to goodness leadership that I did those things and I can correct those. I can get different people. I can hire people. You know, and when I, when I let the group go, there were a lot of senior level staffing experienced people. What I ch- pivoted into is I started hiring people from restaurant, retail, medical, you know, service-based businesses. And I, and I called, I used to call it, I'm going to hire you for your DNA, not your resume. And that allowed me to get people who believed in our core values. So the, the defining moment was the worst moment of my life. That the happy result was the intentionality I had in getting out of debt. I didn't know how I was going to get out of debt. But I focused daily on how am I going to get out of this debt. The, 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 the you know, lucky byproduct was making the Inc. 5000 six times because the original focus was to get out of debt. And you know, it's just been so fascinating now that I'm coaching people and helping them focus on what they should be intentional about, helping them focus on what, what, are the, what matters most to them, what are their core values. And you know, I've got one client right now who's crushing it. Once he made changes on his leadership team, his business grew 70%. His profits grew 500%. But his original intention was, I, I, I need to make this business profitable. My second intention is I want to be able to spend more time with my family. And now he's working three and a half days a week. The fact that you used a coach and the end result worked out for you, is that the inspiration for you being an executive coach? Oh, 150%. I mean, it. it's, it's such... I enjoyed being a recruiter. I'm passionate about being a coach. And I still have a coach in my life. So I used one coach who was very much business strategy, business focused, clearing out the, the, the garbage in my head for my imposter syndrome. And I used him for six years. The coach I have right now, I've used now for seven years. And he's literally a neuroscientist. He's a, a, a mindset guru who literally, can literally put you into an MRI machine and ask you different questions to get your brain to fire so you can understand why we do some of the crazy things as entrepreneurs as we do. And so the, the, the coach I used helped me get unstuck. The coach I use now helps, helps me stay unstuck, helps me grow beyond because I, I really realized, and again, I, this may resonate with some of your listeners, an entrepreneur alone is really an entrepreneur at risk because we kid ourselves into thinking we can do it all by ourselves when in reality, it, we need a team of people around us. And in my case, I know for me, I, I need a coach in my life to help me stay on track. So you are a executive coach, you're a keynote speaker, you're a CEO, you're an author. What was the transition like from making that list, making that recovery and to where you are now? Well, the transition for me was, it was a real blessing to be 
to make the Inc. 5000 six times because that gave, that gave assigned credibility to who I was in the marketplace. So you know, people would want to hire me to come and speak to their companies. People would want to hire me to come and speak to their, their groups and their associations. And from that, then people afterwards would say, hey, listen, I love your story. Um, I really resonate with the imposter syndrome. I really resonated with you know, the choices you, you were making and how you talked to yourself. And I, I really you know, was, was, I loved your authenticity and your transparency about you know, how bad was it and, and your responsibility in it. Can I, can I buy you a drink or can we have a coffee? And then they would tell me their stories. And then they would, you know, they would say, I think I've hit my entrepreneurial rock bottom. Would you be willing to help me? So it kind of grew organically over time. And, and it was really fascinating to me. So like I mentioned earlier, I didn't want to talk about this stuff for so long because I had, I had shame, guilt, and embarrassment attached. When I got through that with the help of my coach and I showed up and I was authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, that really landed with my audiences. That really landed with folks who would hear me maybe on podcasts. And then they would, they would reach out to me and they would self-identify in their life something from my life that landed with them and then we'd have a conversation about it. And that's really how the coaching practice kicked off. So some of the things that, that you talk about, um, ditching your comfort zone, growing through authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, can you kind of get into that a little bit? Uh, maybe get into some advice for entrepreneurs that are listening? Sure. Um, so for me, it, it, it always starts with self. It's, it's always a people problem. And the bottleneck in every company that I've ever worked with or I've ever owned has always been at the top. It's been the CEO or the entrepreneur. And what I try to do is, is, is get my, uh, my entrepreneurs and my CEO clients to understand, understand that and accept that. And once they have that sense of acceptance, what it does is it quiets their itty-bitty shitty committee in their head, their imposter syndrome, the, the parts of their, their, their mindset that tell them that they're not good enough, the parts of their mindset that compare them to their entrepreneurial friends who maybe have uh, a boat or, you know, I've got, I got a buddy of mine who's got a plane, I, you know comparing ourselves to others because so much of the entrepreneurial journey I've found is seeking external validation. So I always say to my audiences and I always say to my entrepreneurs, you know, external validation is fun and it's, it's, it's like, it's like a spike of dopamine. It's, it's a version of happy. The satisfying journey of entrepreneurship is a long and winding road with stops and starts and, and tragedies and successes. And, and if we can focus more on being successful and satisfied versus just focused on being happy, there's a huge shift in that. So what that requires then is it requires the, abil the ability to, to make a plan, to stick to the plan even when we don't want to stick to the plan. Because most entrepreneurs, if you really talk to them, get into being an entrepreneur because they don't want to have a boss. So when they hire a coach, essentially what they are doing is they're hiring an accountability partner. Someone, if, if coaching is done right, in my experience, it's someone who's going to hold you massively accountable to getting the things done in your life that you say you really want. Then we throw in the law of avoidance. I'm a big fan of Mark Manson's work. He talks extensively about the law of avoidance. And the law of avoidance, in a nutshell, is we don't do what we need to do because it challenges our deepest version of ourselves. So, for example, I've got my second book coming out. It's taken me five years to write. For a long time, I was really hung up on certain parts of the book because they really challenged who I was and my sense of self. I had to work through those to, in order to get out of there. I was aware of it. I knew it. Just because I was aware of it and I knew it, I couldn't do it on my own. I actually had to hire a writing coach because I couldn't get unstuck around what I wanted to convey to the audience. So we get stuck. We don't realize we're stuck. 
having an external person come in and help with that is super huge. And so much of the work I do, Craig, is so is mindset work first, getting the entrepreneur unstuck second. Then the third piece is putting in the processes in place to grow and scale the business. Your first book, The Job Search Process, Find and Land a Great Job in Six Weeks or Less, that's available on Amazon. Uh, can you tell us more about your second book coming out? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be out in Q4 of 2020. And the working title right now is From Suck to Success. It's going to have a giant lemon on the cover. And it talks about a lot of things we're talking about now, whether it's dealing with imposter syndrome. I tell the story about how I got into debt. I tell the story how I got out of debt and letting people go. And I bring in other other famous entrepreneurs. I bring in Brian Scudamore of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. He's a friend of mine. He tells some stories. We, we reference, you know, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Colonel Sanders, and, you know, anybody who can be in their 60s driving around the Midwest trying to sell their first franchise going on in 1,009 appointments before they got their first yes. He, he's a freaking entrepreneurial hero to me because that's a lot of no. It's a lot of rejection. That's a lot of learning he goes through. So we talk about all of that because so many, so many books in the entrepreneurial space talk and teach a process, which is great. There's a massive need for that. I, I think to sit above that process, whether it's a, an EOS from Gina Wickman, which is a tremendous book, highly recommend, or even Scaling Up from Vern Harnish, another great book on process, highly recommend. What I talk about in my book sits above that. It's why aren't we doing what we need to do to get our business going? Why are we not making the sales calls we need to make? Why are we holding ourselves back in these areas as entrepreneurs? How, and how do we get unstuck around that? How do we create a world where we set an intention without having an expectation attached to it? How do we create a strategy around that intention to move our business forward? And how do we become comfortable with the, the inevitable you know, failures, mistakes, stumbles and bumbles that we're going to face and still continue to go through those? Because that's the entrepreneurial journey. And if you, if you pull back, it's really the journey of life. You know, if, if we criticize every time a child took their first step and, you know, and it didn't get it right the first time, nobody would walk. Same thing with being an entrepreneur. Now, you're talking entrepreneurial mindset. You're talking programs and uh, processes. Uh, what do you have to say about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you believe that there are parallels between entrepreneurial mindset and a 12-step recovery program, which I find interesting. I haven't really heard anybody talk about this before. Am I correct there? You're 100% correct. Um, and I've got some clients that are in 12-step programs. And they're the ones who actually told me the way I coach is just like how they get sponsored in, in recovery, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And I did some research around it, and I looked at the, the behaviors of, a, of someone who's got a drug and alcohol dependency, and as well as the behaviors of someone who's got a, what I would argue is an entrepreneurship dependency. And a lot of them, the, the parallels are, are just numerous. So for example, um, people who have challenges with drugs and alcohol become obsessive. They've got to get their drug. They've got to get their next fix. Well, entrepreneurs become incredibly obsessive. We, we, we just, we essentially, this is what my client told me is we've traded being addicted to drugs and alcohol to being addicted to entrepreneurship because below the surface, the behaviors are very similar. We, we, we will, you know, someone with a, with a substance issue will sacrifice family. Well, if you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, they're sacrificing family. Now, they, they tell themselves, well, I'm working so hard so that my, one day my kids can have a great life or my family can have a great this. But the, the reality is they're working so hard because they like it. So on some level, it gives them some level of satisfaction. Even when they say they hate it, it's giving them something at the expense of their family. 
Um, and so, yeah, just kind of go through those behavior patterns and, and see there's such, and it's scary that, you know, the, the emptiness an addict feels with, who, who's, you know, filling that emptiness with drugs and alcohol is very similar to the emptiness a lot of entrepreneurs feel whether they're trying to fuel. So use me as the example. I was feeling very empty at, when my business was $600,000 in it. I, the, the, I was telling myself what a failure I was. Well, that's, you know, people who have addictions will give that same kind of self-talk. And I thought that, you know, by making the Inc. 5,000 one time, two times, five times, six times was going to fill that emptiness within me. What I learned, Craig, is it didn't. It didn't fill the emptiness within. Being of service to others and, and expressing gratitude towards others. And I love the work of Sean Aker. <laughs> I feel like I'm dropping a lot of, of resources for your, your listeners today. But it, it's, it's, but those are the, I mean, all, I had to ask for help in all these areas. So I, I saw Sean Aker and I'm talking to him afterwards. And he goes, You want to change your mindset? Express gratitude. And he, and he just simple, quick tips of express gratitude to five people every day. Boy, was my mindset a whole lot better. I, you know, I remember helping this, this young entrepreneur get off the ground and, I got a thank you note from them, you know, a year and a half later about how they they'd finally made the business profitable. That note actually felt better than winning the Inc. 5000 six times because I was of service to someone else. It, we have to recognize that as human beings, we we have a certain way we operate. And if we're always self-focused and self-centered, there there is a limit to what we can experience. But when we think of a, a mindset of abundance and we give abundantly to others, the rewards we get back come, come to us in amazing and crazy ways. Now, failure is, is uh, well, abundant in entrepreneurship. There's a lot of failure when it comes to entrepreneurship. How do you deal with, how do you deal with your uh, clients, clients that you coach? How do you deal with their failures? Because inevitably, it's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. It, happen, it happens daily. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. So the first thing I do is I validate what they're experiencing. Yeah, that that didn't work. What did you learn? Because within every within every tragedy, there is opportunity. So what did you learn? And I, and I get them to slow down their thinking because a lot of them see a failure or um, an unmet goal as cataclysmic, as be all and do all. They see it very black and white. I really want to coach them into seeing it as just a gray learning opportunity. And one of the things that that I used from my coach, his name is Dr. Daniel Friedland. He's out of San Diego, California. He's awesome. What he, one of the one things he taught me is that failure doesn't really exist. It doesn't exist. Because, because if you're learning and you're growing from that learning, then that learning process just takes you ultimately to your ultimate success. And he's so eloquent in the way he talks about it that failure doesn't really exist. Yeah, you're going to have disappointment. Yeah, you're going to be frustrated. That's all normal part of it. So what I try to get my, my, my clients to understand, especially when they're on a new initiative or they're pivoting away and they've let an employee go and they're bringing somebody new in, is look for the for the the, the quick pivots you can make. If, if something's not working on Monday and you try to get on Tuesday, don't do it again on Wednesday. And if there's five steps to that process and two of them are working great and three of them aren't working, take the two that are working, find out what's and how to make those better. And, and it's always about pivoting forward, taking a look at where you are, talking about what your KPIs are, what are you measuring, and how you know? I had one client that they they had a, a a ratio of of underperformance they were measuring for a certain department. They bring in a new department lead, and that within within sixty days, that that KPI was immediately eliminated. Was it was eliminated because she saw it differently? She saw opportunity. Okay, we if we make these pivots, 
we're going to try it. And she got resistant from some resistance from some team members. She she doubled down on believing what she was right. She got in the trenches with them and did the work with them, and they eliminated all the inefficiencies of process. It was amazing. The previous leader had that same issue for five years. So the, the I always tell my leaders, if you want to deal with failing forward and you want to to lean into those uncomfortable conversations and get through the other side, you only have two jobs. Your first job is to remove all bottlenecks from your from your leadership teams. Get constant feedback from your teams. Where are they getting stuck? And your job is to help remove those bottlenecks. The second thing is you make it easy. You make it easy for your clients to do business with you, and you make it easy for your employees to work from you. How do you do that? By removing bottlenecks. So it all flows through together. And if people can do that, then they really don't have to worry about the, the failing as much as you might think they have to. Now, when it comes to clients, uh, I think it's implied that, that you deal with primarily executives. Would that be accurate? You know, it, it, you know pre-COVID, absolutely that was accurate. Post-COVID, I've got clients that are all uh, on all levels of leadership within organizations. I certainly have a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs. I also have some COOs. I have some some department heads and, and some mid-level mid managers who are tasked and, and, and responsible. The, 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 the craziest thing that, that the blessing for my business is my business has actually grown during COVID because a lot of people are finding themselves very much stressed out and very stuck as leaders around change and uncertainty. And we, work, we put together a model, we work them through how to deal with change and uncertainty. And you know, the key takeaway for your audience would be it, it requires a massive amount of over-communication to the point of, of, of sometimes daily communication for people who are introverts. But those are the, because what happens is when we don't communicate with our teams, especially when we're either working from home or working in a virtual environment and we're not seeing them and we can't just walk down the hall to Jane's office and have a conversation or, or grab lunch with Bob to talk about a big project, is when we have, when we have gaps or we go dark in the way we communicate, our staffs will often go down the process of filling in those communication gaps with the worst stories ever. So if I haven't heard, you know, if Craig's my boss and I haven't heard from Craig in three days, you know, I'm going to put in my head, well, uh oh, am I on the chopping block? Is Craig replaced me? Does Craig, is Craig mad at me? All these different things. Whereas if Craig and I are communicating on a daily basis and we have a strong communication rhythm, we'll always know where we are. I'll always know where I stand as an employee. Craig will know from me, am I happy? Am I dissatisfied? How are things going? It's a lot more communication than ever before, even with things out there like Zoom fatigue and Zoom meeting fatigue that we a lot of people are facing. Now, what criteria do you look for in a potential coaching client? Because I would imagine that not all coaches and clients are compatible. There's got to be some sort of selectiveness, I would imagine. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I know, for example, that I'm not a good coach for, for certain people. Um, so I do really well with people who listen to podcasts. I do really well with people who are lifelong learners. I do really well with people who have a certain sense of self-awareness. I don't do well with, with people who want to hire me. So I had a client call or a prospect call me up one time and I said, so why are you interested specifically in working with me? Well, because I want to make the Inc. 5,000 six times like you did. And I said, well, why is that important to you? And it's so much of his, his need was external. I said, and I said, what do you think is holding you back? Well, I, you know, I think my team is possibly holding me back in some areas, and I'd like you to come in and work with them. I said, uh, during the diagnostic, I said, well, so, well, who does the team report to? Well, they report to me, said the leader. Who picked the team? Who hired the team? Well, I did. Um, 
do you see any commonalities here? And he <laughs> couldn't see. I said, well, the bottleneck, I said, the, the, the first person I need to work with is you because you, you, you own the company. You make the decisions. You pick the team. You hold them accountable. Once we work through all of that, and if there's a a, a business that can scale and grow, then yeah, maybe you could make the Inc. Five Thousand once. I don't know that yet. And he, he he's like, no, I, I that's what I want to hire you for. I said, that's not what I do. Versus my my client who's who's improved his profits five hundred percent said, um, yeah, I, the stuff you talked about with imposter syndrome and how I talk to myself, I want to stop doing that. Can you help me? Absolutely. Um, I want to create a life by design. I want to be able to work, you know, work my 40 to 50 hours, but I also want to be able to go on vacation. Right now, I haven't been on a vacation in four years. Can you help me with that? Absolutely. It's those leaders that I can really be a great resource for. Um, you know, I had someone said who called me two or three weeks ago who wanted to hire me to come in and put in a process. And I, I mean, I can put in a process, and I said, well, why don't you have a process now? And it really came down to, that he didn't want to follow the process. He just wanted his team to follow the process. But <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right, right. So I can come in and put all the processes in you want, but if you're not going to follow me as a leader, you're going to set the example, and, and no one else is going to follow him. And he just couldn't get it. That We ended up not working together. Now, do you only work with clients uh, from an individual standpoint, or do you also work with companies? So to, primarily, I work with either the, the individual CEO or the individual leader as well as, or I work with the individual CEO and leader and their leadership team. So we will do quarterly meetings. I will coach, uh, like uh, the, the, you know, I've got one company right now. I'm working with the CEO and the COO because the COO is being groomed to replace the CEO because the CEO is the founder and owner and she's gonna be moving into a chairman's position. So we're working. So what I really find that I do well is I meet the clients where they are where they are in their journey of entrepreneurship or where they are in their journey of leadership. And then we kind of collaborate and craft something that's individualized to them. The platform that sits underneath of it, my, my methodologies are all the same, but I, I can plug and play to see what the client needs. And again, the, the, the this one where I'm working with the COO and the CEO may be just for a short period of time as the COO transitions, or it could be for a, a, a more extensive period of time as then I, the, the chairman's going to be getting duties and responsibilities. The CEO is going to be faced with new challenges, but I may work with them individually and then bring, bring them back together. It's just to be determined. Now, for anybody that's listening that wants to uh, maybe look into using your services or contacting you, maybe they just want to follow you on social media, keep an eye out for that book launch, where can they find you at? Well, thank you for asking. So first thing I'd say that anybody who's heard me who wants to have a conversation, I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of my time for free. Just mention that you heard me on Craig's show. Uh, and write to me at my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. Uh, email me, Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. And I'm happy to set up a call with you to talk you through whatever you're stuck around or where your business is bottlenecked and how we can potentially in 30 minutes at least give you some new ideas. Um, you can follow me. Uh, I have extraordinaryadvisors.com on Facebook. Uh, Todd Palmer, the number two on Instagram. Uh, Todd Palmer on Twitter. So I'm kind of all over the place. And certainly by all means, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. Todd, it's been a great conversation today. You are you have a wealth of knowledge. There's so much I want to ask you. Maybe we'll get to, uh, hopefully we'll get to connect again at some point. We can dig into some more stuff. But it was great talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Craig, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Kings. 
Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher Radio to never miss an episode of the Thrive Kings podcast.